Section 17 of Red Rubber, the story of the rubber slave trade on the Congo. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lawrence Trask, Mount Vernon, Ohio, InterfaceAudio.com. Red Rubber, the story of the rubber slave trade on the Congo by Edmund Denae Morel. Section 17. The Duty. Thou. Did King Leopold know that the concomitants to the enormous revenues he has been drawing from the labor of the Congo races were the misery, degradation, enslavement, and partial extermination of those peoples? Does the question require an answer, rather than the answer these pages apply? Remember that power has been and is vested in him alone, that power is absolute, all-controlling and directing, that his Congo staff in Brussels is not composed of responsible officials, but of men whom he himself has selected and keeps upon it, revocable at his will and pleasure, answerable to him alone, paid out of his African revenues, men to whom no initiative is allowed, who are there to do his bidding, whose position is wholly dependent upon a slavish submission to his commands. Remember that these men, if responsibility be shifted from the royal shoulders on to theirs, stand condemned on the face of the report of his own commission, stand condemned at the bar of civilization, of having directed for fifteen years from their offices in Brussels, a vast system of criminal oppression the like of which the world has never seen. Remember that if the royal master was ignorant of their misdeeds, they have betrayed and disgraced him before the universe. They have bespattered the royal robe with blood. They have branded the royal name with infamy. They have been wicked servants, and their offense is the greater since he has profited from it, largely profited, profited beyond the dreams of avarice. Remember that he has retained them in office, and that a minister of Great Britain to the European country over which he rules as constitutional monarch has still to conduct diplomatic negotiations through them on behalf of the government of his Britannic Majesty. Remember that his Congo staff in Africa does but apply and carry out the instructions it receives from Brussels, and that the Governor-General is his mandatory. Remember that fourteen years ago he, by secret decree, the contents of which were unknown until years later, gave to that staff a command which was to regulate their whole conduct, to be the motive force directing them, their paramount duty and their first consideration, and that command was to raise revenue. Remember that for eleven years out of those fourteen, the natives were by force compelled to provide this revenue illegally, with no limitation as to quantity or time, and that members of his staff received in various forms commission proportionate to the revenue they secured. Remember that in the eleventh year, when revelations increased and multiplied every day, this raising of revenue by force was for the first time legalized, but limited by law in such a way as to provide that no native should be called upon to labor for the royal majesty in Brussels, at the utmost more than forty hours per month, or sixty days per annum. 
Remember that three months after the promulgation or this legal decision, which had then become the law of the country, the king's mandatory in Africa issued a private circular to the local staff to the effect that the revenues under this new law, which restricted to a fixed duration of time demands that for the eleven preceding years had been unrestricted and unlimited, should not only be maintained at their previous figure, but should show constant progression, and that one year after the new law had come into operation, November-December 1904, the natives were being requisitioned by force to the raising of revenue for a minimum of 300 days in the year. Remember that from this supreme illegality sprang acts all of them equally illegal according to the laws of the country, propounded for the ostensible purpose of protecting the native against outrage, which the supreme illegality rendered habitual and inevitable, such as armed expeditions illegally sent against native communities, unwilling or unable to supply revenue in quantities considered requisite by the local members of the royal staff, who received a commission on that revenue, the seizure of men and women, and their illegal retention in hostage houses, and so on. Remember that all this, while if data on the abominations committed under this illegal system for raising revenue, in accordance with the king's command, were accumulating in the mission stations, they were also accumulating in the official records, and in the public prosecutor's office, which is supervised by the king's mandatory, and that the king's commissioners have declared that the material for the affirmations their report contains, and for the conclusions at which they arrived, was supplied not so much from the evidence placed before them by European and native witnesses, as from the examination of these official records. Remember that no members of the king's executive staff in Africa have been prosecuted or even dismissed the royal service, but on the contrary have been honored, promoted, and remunerated. Let those who, from motives unquestionably good in the eyes of the men who hold them, motives made up of traditions and a general trend of ideas that have so much to recommend them in ordinary cases, seek some loophole of escape from a grim logic which will not be gainsaid, and find it in sinning concessionaire companies. Let them remember who these concessionaires are, and what these companies are. Farmers of a portion of the royal revenues, organizations created and operating under the King's African Code of Laws, subjected to no control from the machinery of a European judicature. Let them remember that the men on the councils of the headquarters of these concerns are the King's Congo bodyguard, that all these years they have acted in the closest partnership with him, officers of his privy purse, functionaries at his European court, bankers ever obsequious to the royal call. Let them remember that these men still bask in the royal smile, these companies still operate, the king's steamers still convey to their agents in Africa the rifle and cap-gun, the cases of cartridge, caps, and loads by which means they stimulate for themselves and for the king the rubber output. Like the Brussels executive staff, like the Congo executive staff, the so-called concessionaires, the titled partners in guilt, the financial vampires in co-equal infamy, 
the beneficiaries from uniformity in outrage remain. The handwriting is on the wall. It blazes forth in letters of fire. They will burn through the ages unquenchable, ineffaceable, a transcendental testimony to the possibilities of individual crime, a supreme warning to mankind, and in the dim hereafter those who read them with happier hearts and in happier times will recollect that their message it was which pronounced the final judgment upon autocratic rule in the world of men. End of section 17. Recording by Lawrence Trask, Mount Vernon, Ohio, interfaceaudio.com.